Today's episode is with Will Compton. Will has played in the NFL for the last decade while also running a popular podcast and media business called Bustin' with the Boys. In this episode, we discuss college recruitment, how NIL will impact the locker room, transitioning to the NFL, the mental part of the game, and growing a media business while still playing. This was an awesome conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. Today's episode is brought to you by Whoop, the personalized digital fitness and health coach. Monitor your recovery, sleep, training, and health with personalized recommendations and coaching feedback with Whoop. Train smarter, recover faster, sleep better, and now feel healthier with Whoop and their all-new Whoop 4.0, the latest, most advanced fitness wearable on the market. The all-new 4.0 is smaller, smarter, and designed with new biometric tracking, including skin temperature, blood oxygen, and more. The device also features an all-new smart alarm, designed to wake you up feeling refreshed and ready to take on the day. Plus, it was designed with their new Anywhere technology, so you can wear it with their new Whoop Body Sensor Enhanced Technical Garments, boxers, shorts, compression tops, leggings, and more. Just remove the band from the device and slide it into your garment of choice, and you're discreetly tracking your daily activity with Whoop. I've been wearing Whoop for over a year now, and it's drastically improved the way I approach fitness and think about my recovery. Not only is the device comfortable to wear, the app packs a ton of health information into a simple display that's easy to understand. Get the all-new waterproof device for free when you sign up for Whoop 4.0 membership. For any members, if you have six months left on your membership, you can upgrade now and get the 4.0 for free. But here's the best part. Whoop is offering 15% off when you use code Joe at checkout. Go to Whoop, W-H-O-O-P.com and enter Joe, J-O-E, at checkout to save 15%. Next up is Public Rec. Are you looking to upgrade your baggy sweats? It's time to check out Public Rec. Their best-selling, all-day, everyday pant is the perfect combination of indoor comfort and outdoor style. Myself, along with thousands of others, are wearing these, and trust me, they live up to the hype. Finally, a more stylish alternative to sweatpants that are way more comfortable than jeans. Now, your favorite lounge pants can also be your go-tos for work, happy hour, and the gym. After a year at home, they're definitely the pants you need, now that you need pants. Public Rec rarely discounts, but right now, they have an exclusive offer just for my listeners. Go to publicrec.com and use promo code HUDDLE, H-U-D-D-L-E, to receive 10% off. This episode is also sponsored by CoinCloud. Did you know you don't need a bank account to buy crypto? CoinCloud makes it easy to buy or sell Bitcoin and 30 plus other digital assets with their digital currency machines. It's the most convenient way to make a transaction. With thousands of machines across the country, there's no need to connect your bank account or wait in lines. Plus, they offer live 24-7 US-based customer support. Simply put, CoinCloud wants to make it easy for you to get involved in crypto. Get $50 off in free Bitcoin when you buy $200 or more at any CoinCloud machine and use the promo code Joe. You heard that right. That's free Bitcoin. For details, go to coin.cloud slash Joe. That's coin.cloud slash Joe. And don't forget to use promo code Joe for free Bitcoin. All right, Will, I'm pumped to have you here today. Uh, Let's start with your NFL career, man. Let's start with, uh, maybe before that, Nebraska to the NFL. Where are you from, by the way? Bonterre, Missouri. Missouri. Bonterre is French for good earth. <laughs> and what is what is that? Small town, mean? bro. Small town. Small town. Yeah, small town. We had about we had about five thousand people. Our closest airport was an uh, an hour twenty away in St. Louis. So we were you know small town man, small town living. And you grew up Not a playing lot football. Us. What else? Uh, I did all the sports growing up. My uh, brother, he was a a big wrestler. He went to college in Nebraska too for wrestling. So there was a stint there where I was playing football, wrestling, playing baseball, uh, track and field, um, got into basketball for a couple of years in middle school, was the fourth leading scorer on my team. And uh, just from there, dude, once I got into high school, I, it's pretty, I slimmed it down to football and fortunately it worked out. I love how you dropped the fourth leading scorer on the team. <laughs> like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be impressed by that or, or not, but cause I mean, fourth leading scorer on my middle school, on my eighth grade basketball team, no, not to flex, but to also flex. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that's fantastic. I would tell, uh, th- I want to hear more about you, but that leads on to a story about the YMCA. My mom brought me there when I was in sixth grade. Uh, and by me, the YMCA was like, wor- it was the, the, the lowest level. Basically there was like, you know, middle school, there was some AAU and then YMCA. <laughs> Uh, and I yeah. was not good at basketball. I was not good at all, really. And I scored 17 points in the first half. And my mom was like, yeah, we probably shouldn't do this anymore. <laughs> because just the, the level of talent just was not uh, what you would expect. Yeah. But but that's fantastic. Yeah. So how do you end up at Nebraska? Man, Coach Bo Pelini and their staff. I know the staff I was committed to was Coach Callahan at the time. We had like the number five recruiting class in the country. And we were we were looking good. 
uh, being being a Cornhusker at the time, but they had a an abysmal year to where Callahan, everybody called for his head. Um, you know, he got fired that year. They they fired their AD. They pretty much fired everybody. So you didn't really know who the AD was going to be or who the next head coach was going to be. And uh, Tom Osborne ended up flying to my little high school. And I didn't really know who Coach Tom Osborne was at the time. I know a lot of the old heads, the teachers, everybody else. I had a math teacher who was sprinting down the hall to get his autograph. And uh, come to find out, he's like the most iconic uh, college football coach of all time. And uh, sat down with him. And he led me to believe that we would like the next hire. It ended up being Coach Bo Pelini. And it was down to Mizzou, Notre Dame, Illinois, and Nebraska. And I was committed to Nebraska at the time, but I was like, you know, I was kind of one of those dudes. Like, I was in a relationship, but I was looking for greener grass, like, while I was committed. And um, Coach Bo had asked me the week before I had decided to commit. I was one of those guys who, like, put a date, like, oh, I'm going to commit next Tuesday. I'm going to make my announcement. And uh, Coach Bo had called me. He was like, hey, comp, you mind if I – can you do me one last favor before you commit next week? And I had just gotten done visiting with my mom at her at the school she taught at because Mizzou had did a, a, a visit. They wanted to go visit her and be around the kids and kind of make their last push. And I was on the, I was on a drive home and Coach Bo was like, can you do me one last favor? And I was like, yeah, sure. At this point, I was so exhausted from the recruiting process. In my mind, I had already told my mother that I wasn't going to go to Nebraska. She cried because Coach Bo had took her to church on our official visit. And um, it was either going to be Mizzou or Illinois, quite honestly. Illinois had just got done going to the Rose Bowl. Uh, Mizzou, that's when they had Jeremy Macklin and Chase Daniel, and they were, you know, winning Big 12 championships or competing for them anyway. And I had a lot of in-state pressure. And I was like, at this point, it was kind of like a pity, like, yeah, sure, I'll do you a favor. And he was like, I want to fly my staff in to watch the championship games. It was championship week in the NFL, the AFC and NFC championships. I want to fly my defensive staff in to watch the games with you. And I was kind of like, I was like, man, I did not know it was going to be that kind of favor. And I was like, I got to do another in-home visit. They're, they're all, they are like exhausting for a recruit has to go through those things. Um, it's a blessing, of course. But when you're trying to be a kid and go to volleyball games and basketball games and kind of live your life, you're like, man, you got to set up evenings that are just stacked with coaches just trying to recruit you. And uh, they came, dude, and we had the best night ever. Uh, my linebacker coach at the time, he had gotten a, a temporary tattoo of the black shirt logo and had my last name tattooed. It was like one of those two to three month temporary tattoos. It looked real. He had that on his arm. And it was one of those situations to where there were different parts of the house being used. Like people are in the kitchen, people in the living room, the game in in my bedroom. We're learning about the new iPhone. We're watching games. Like everybody's having a great time. They stepped out. And uh, I remember when they walked out, I was like, I don't even know what I was thinking. This is exactly where I want to be and the the coaches that I want to play for. And um, so, yeah, dude, it was it was the Pelini coaching staff that uh, got me to go to Nebraska. I know people say pick the school and not the coach, but it was the it was quite the opposite for me. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard of someone getting a temporary tattoo with a recruit's name on oh, it. But I'm sure there are ten times worse stories than that. Oh man, dude, Coach Mike Eckler, he's the special teams coach for uh, the University of T- Tennessee right now. He's the special teams coordinator, and uh, the very first phone call I had with them when they made the switch to this new staff. He's my recruiter. He calls me up. Will Compton is just, uh, you know, the best linebacker in ball doing the recruiting, the recruiting pitch. And he goes, I just got off the phone with my wife and kids. And you want to know what I told my kids, Will? And I was like, what's that coach? Cause he had a lot of energy. And he was like, I told them that if you don't continue to stay committed to the university of Nebraska, I'm going to climb up to the top of Memorial stadium and I'm going to jump and they're going to no longer have a father. And that was our first phone call. I'm telling you within the first minute, that was our exchange. Yeah. So and, you're, either, uh, you're either like, this guy's insane or I want to play for this guy. Cause he's funny as hell. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. There's nothing in between, but man, it was the best decision I ever made playing for Nebraska. Is that the craziest thing that uh, a coach did trying to recruit you? Yeah, I would say those stories, the tattoo is, is pretty unique and different. Um, man, Coach Eckler, he, he would always play into the stereotypes. Like one time he handed me an envelope or he handed my best friend an envelope. He was doing a school visit, handed him an envelope. And I'm already getting like a little anxiety, like a little tight, like what's what's about to happen. <laughs> and my buddy opens up the envelope and there's like a, there's another envelope inside the envelope. And he opens that up and it's just a stick of gum with a note that says there's more where that came from. That's hilarious. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So you get to uh, Nebraska. What year is this? 
This is in 2008. 2008. Okay. And so you're there all four years, right? Yeah, I was there for five years. I redshirted my freshman year. Gotcha. Okay. And what's that experience like there? It was incredible, man. They have some of the best facilities in the country. You know, people think in Nebraska and they, they just imagine it being in, in the middle of a bunch of corn and cows. And uh, once you get inside Lincoln, dude, it's just red all over. People people die for Nebraska football, for Husker football. Um, it's red all year round. Uh, it's the only show in town. There's no pro teams. There's no other college teams. Um, it is just Nebraska football, Nebraska volleyball, wrestling, like all the sports that they have there, man. And it was incredible. The stuff I learned there, the, the personal development I had with Coach Bo um, and his staff, Coach James Dobson, who was our strength coach, basically our head coach in the offseason. You just learn so much. The driving factors that you have as a high schooler and a young kid, you have aspirations of just being an NFL player and being rich and all these things that motivate you, all these external motivators. And you learn very quickly in a tough environment playing for Coach Bo and that staff that the uh, characteristics you're going to have is that you build on is focusing on the process, competing every day. It was a quote that we had all around the building. And it wasn't just a quote that was just on the, all over the place. It was something when we were in team meetings, Bo is calling players out, not going to class. We have class checkers. We're learning. He's his big thing. His big theme was I'm not here to babysit you. You're not a, sum of the, you're not a sum of the time guy in life. And it's not going to be this way in college. You don't just, pick and choose what you want throughout the week. And then all of a sudden you show up on Saturdays, you're either going to be an all the time guy or we're going to weed you out. And it was, it was the idea of focusing on what the process meant and what the process really was other than focusing on results, which is fame and all these achievements and everything else. And, you know, I, I learned a great deal from coach Bo in that, in that manner and uh, attitude and effort, like really simple cliche things that I felt uh, blueprinted on me and just, um, you know, help help me focus on the future in the simplest way possible attitude and effort focus on the process you know don't worry about results small things for for a kid to focus on but i feel like changed everything for me uh moving forward because they are there are things i take with me going into the nfl and going into everything else that i do yeah so a c- couple things around college I don't think people understand from a student athlete perspective, like what's the schedule like? I assume you're waking up at six, six thirty in the morning, five thirty, whatever it is to go to workouts. You're not yes. getting home till late. Like just walk me through the schedule in college. Yeah. So in college you are, you know, you're waking up at 6am for workouts. You are, you're, you're doing your workouts. You might have classes that start early in the morning, later in the morning. It just depends, but your workout schedule is around your classes in the morning time and you're hitting classes till about noon. And then you'll go over or really 1130, you'll go over to the cafeteria, uh, you'll get lunch, you'll eat a little bit, you'll get to the uh, training room to get taped up for meetings, you're getting taped up by 1230. Uh, you're getting up to meeting rooms, you're in meetings from like one o'clock to uh, 230 or three. And then you have about 30 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes to get on the field for walkthroughs. You're doing walkthroughs for 30 minutes. You have about 25 to 30 periods of practice to where you're practicing until about 6pm. If you're lucky, you booked a you booked a night class so you can leave practice a little early and get out of there. Uh, but you're 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 at practice till about five or six p.m. And uh, depending on the time frame that you had, I know as I became a senior, we had a little bit more time on the back end. Uh, you would have meetings, a short meeting after that. So you're you're at the building, you're around the facilities till about six thirty. And depending how well you do in class, um, you know certain privileges you might get to where you don't have to do study hall. But when you're a freshman, you're doing study hall and you're in those you're working with tutors and everything else. And that starts at about seven, seven thirty after you have dinner and you're in those tu- tutoring study hall sessions till about eight thirty or nine, man, depending on how well you're doing in class and you go to bed and you wake up and it's the same thing over and over. And then when it's the summertime, you get a little bit more flexibility, but even then you're taking summer classes. Uh, you're getting a summer job to help with uh, offsetting some of the scholarship check that you're getting. So you have a full-time schedule all year round. I want to say it's the month of um, May, April, May. Yeah, it's like the month of May where you get a little bit of a break after the spring game. But it's all year round, man, 24-7, 365. And money perspective, NIL is obviously happening now. How would that have changed things in college, do you think? It would have changed a lot for a few guys, for sure. I know I'm thinking in particular Amir Abdullah, Rex Burkhead, Kenny Bell. Those were guys who were very uh, – iconic in the Nebraska days of us playing. I was a starter and I had a lot of, 
you know, I did some stuff on Twitter. I would say my senior year, I had to battle Coach Bo a lot. I had to sit in his office numerous times trying to talk him into letting us keep Twitter uh, because he thought of it as such a, an evil thing, which it can play against you at times. His thing was nothing good ever comes out of it. And uh, But as far as for me, I don't know if it would have changed myself a whole lot because I was very, uh, just for lack of a better term, like brainwashed into – uh, knowing one way, always focusing on plan A, like being a leader, being a captain, like playing into a lot of what the coaches teach, like one of those guys who were, who were always like in line. If anything, I was too hard on myself when I look back on stuff. Now, it paid off, um, but I was very much like, uh, you know, somebody who was very focused, not try to go out a whole lot on weekends, but I don't know how much it would have changed me personally. Do you think, so one of the complaints about NIL, and I don't necessarily know if I believe this or not, but I'm curious about your opinion is that like the guys making the money. So what we've seen so far, right. Is that the, the top end guys are making most of the money. And then some of the smaller guys are getting smaller checks, but uh, the average deal is like $500 right now. Right. So that's, it's heavily weighted towards the top guys. Do you think that there would have been animosity in the locker room towards these guys making a lot of money or no? I think it depends. You know, I'm not, I'm obviously not in those locker rooms anymore. I can assume being a kid and being young minded like that, that some stuff, there is some envy and some jealousy that would, that would be a, a factor in some of those things. Um, on the flip side, like the pros of that $500, even if you're cashing $50 a month, that money goes a long way, especially when you come from the era of, that cream cheese wasn't allowed. You weren't allowed to have free peanut butter or cream cheese or allowed a free meal out to eat uh, from somebody that comes to town that might be a friend. Like there was so, there's so much red tape that I think it's a good thing, but there's also some cons to it because it's a lot to put on these kids who are navigating these waters um, in the locker room. Like if some kids making several thousand dollars compared to guys not making a lot. If that dude misses a workout, how is he treated differently? Like there's so many other factors that I'm probably not thinking of right now. And even the mental aspect, like when you're not playing well, like how that plays into your mental, like, man, if I wouldn't took this deal, do I do, do I believe that I'd be playing better right now? Like Spencer Radler, he's a, he's an example. I know he's somebody who made some, who's made some good money off the NIL and he's somebody who is, who's on the bench now and backing up the, the new starter. It's like, I, I wonder what he's up at night thinking about. Like if he thinks if I wouldn't, are these things distractions to me? Um, is this something I should have taken advantage of because this is how I, I put so much in the ball. These are only questions he can answer, but they're definitely, uh, they're definitely stuff to think. They're definitely things to think about when coming into that much money. Yeah. It's tough, right? Cause he, if you really look at all the guys who maximize it the most, it's Spencer Rattler. He was all the way in the, all in the news. Derek King was all the way in the news. Uh, DJ from Clemson was in the news, right? And and a lot of these guys haven't played necessarily up to the standard that I believe that they probably thought they would. And it's not to say that right. the brands didn't get the value out of it because a lot of that is done up front and through social media and stuff also. Uh, but it could be right. claimed that it's a distraction. Do you think, so you're obviously involved in media now and we'll get to that later, uh, but do you, knowing what you know in kind of the media landscape and from advertising and kind of some of the opportunities when it comes to the internet, do you think that any of these athletes will make, uh, let's say like seven figures this year, a million dollars? Do I think any of these college athletes will? Yeah. I believe from what I know, I, I you know, I work closely with uh, Blake Lawrence over at Open Doors and I know some of these athletes are making some big seven figure deals. I know there will be a few. Now, obviously, they're the one percent of the one percent, but it will happen. Um, are you asking how, how that might change them? Like if I was a guy who made seven figures back then? Yeah, I guess. Right. Like I'm assuming that there's some kind of whether it's jealousy or envy in the locker room for sure. But it's also kind of like a personal thing too, right? Are you distracted? Are you not paying attention in, in things? Are you, uh, does it not matter? Right. Like I, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's those, are, those are, those are great, great questions, man. I, you know, at the end of the day, they're, they're young kids. I, like I like to think that I would be structured. I think ultimately what it comes down to is who are you surrounding yourself with to help navigate these waters? Who are the people in your corner? Who are you trusting with all that stuff? Are you playing the, like I have an agent game and I have all these different guys that, it just seems cool to have these guys. Are they really guys that have my best interest in mind? And I think you got to trust those people. And again, uh, you have to be able to prioritize. Uh, I would like to think I would have prioritized those things and that these kids are doing just that. Uh, but also it can be a distraction. So it, it all just depends what side of the fence you're standing on. Like me now, I'm pro athlete. I'm pro guys getting, getting paid and taking advantage of these moments that they have because you don't have these moments forever. 
it's like, you know, as you build this brand of yours, this individual brand, you build it a little bit through high school. I know kids are doing it a lot more now. You have this brand to build on in college. And the minute you're done playing, your jokes aren't as funny. You're, you're uglier. You're not, you're not shaking as many hands. It just doesn't happen for you as much anymore because you're on the other side of it. So you have to take the right, the necessary steps while you have it and the iron is hot and make the right moves. But as you're doing that, I think the biggest thing is you have to prioritize and have a good structure around you to help, to help allow you to be successful. And if it's not going your way, um, you have to have the self-awareness to know what is a distraction. If it's you, if it's, this is just the way it's playing out and uh, persevere through those times because they are going to be a lot of uncharted waters that guys are navigating. Yeah, I, th- I think the easiest way to think about it sometimes too is like for some players, this is the highest earning potential maybe of their life, right? Or of their career. Right. If, they're, if they're a really good college player, uh, don't necessarily translate to the pros well or, or do not, or even if they get hurt or whatever it might be, if you're on the tickets in college, if you're on TV, if you're doing all these things, this could be your opportunity. Uh, so I obviously think it's a good thing that people are able to do this now, but with that always comes challenges, although that doesn't mean it shouldn't happen is, is, is generally the way I think about it. But let's talk about your transition to the NFL, right? So you go to Nebraska, you're there five years, you go to the NFL, you're undrafted, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. And you start in Washington first. What's that transition like? Yeah, so I went undrafted. Um, to the Washington football team. And, uh, you know, you just, you go into rookie minicamp the next week and you're fighting for a position to make the active roster. There's 90 guys on the roster. They cut it down to 53 and then back up to, there's eight guys on practice squad my rookie year. So then they'll go back up to 61 guys. And, uh, you know, man, going through rookie minicamp, going through OTAs, going through training camp, what a eye opener to the NFL it was for myself. You think, you know, going through college that these coaches are going to have an idea about who you are, what might carry over, what makes you, what made you valuable in college. These coaches might know that and understand that uh, to help you with your learning curve going into the NFL. But man, I got to the NFL and it was, uh, it was an uphill battle being at the bottom of every depth chart, being number four on the depth chart. There was, there were seven inside linebackers in our room and um, I was number seven. There was an undrafted guy that they had ahead of me that worked in with the threes. So I got about two reps every day in OTAs and you have to make the most of those things, man. And my transition on making the practice squad uh, was hard. Even like I I remember after OTAs, I was working with my mental coach, uh, Ben Newman, we had exchanged DMS and I was getting into uh, this mental sports psychology of the game and felt that Ben would be a great guy to work with, to help keep me focused and not think about, you know, there's 31 other teams out there. Like, what if I don't make it? Like all these insecurities that come out of you when you're at the bottom of a depth chart or at the bottom of the totem pole. And, uh, man, I feel like that helped me a lot. It was to the point to where I was game planning our offense in my own time to where I would just, just like I would prepare for a real game, I would do the same thing against our offense on the Washington football team. So those two reps that I did have in practice, I knew that I was working in with the threes. So the offense was going to have very vanilla plays because, again, they're working with rookies and new guys and guys that aren't, aren't as good or familiar with the p- playbook. So they're going to run some simple stuff offensively uh, to where I could get a tendencies, I could get a beat on what they were going to do. So pre-snap, I could be loud and proud and be like, you know, alert the play pass. Hey, X is nasty. Alert the play pass. Alert the stretch this way. Alert the toss. Watch this motion. Um, all these different things to where a coach could sit back and know – Oh, this kid, this uh, four, number 40, I was number 46 at the time. Oh, whoever 46 is out there, he seems to know what he's doing. So the minute a guy got injured, um, which happened for me in training camp, day one, the starting backer where I, the spot I was playing in, he tore his pet, Keenan Robinson. That thrusted me up to work with the threes. And so I was just, you know, I'd get a few more reps per day in training camp. And again, it's just taking advantage of those opportunities when they come and all the prep work that you put in in the back end like that I was doing in the summertime and working with Ben to stay focused um, on what I needed to stay focused on. And uh, sure enough, some, the, 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 the number two at the time, the second stringer, Jeremy Kimbrough, he hurt his hamstring. That put me up in with the twos, so I was getting more looks with the twos, and I was taking advantage of practice. Um, I was getting interceptions, and uh, I remember one really good day st- stood out to me where I had two picks and a, a third that I probably should have had, but it was a PBU that I get laughed at about. Um, I had that day and that helped and thrust me into 
playing with the second string during the first preseason game against the Tennessee Titans. And, uh, man, I, w- I battled that whole preseason. It was a long, grueling training camp. And I remember always telling my friends that I don't care if this is the only year that I play in the NFL. I just don't love it. I just – for whatever reason, they were all excuses I was telling myself to protect me from the reality of the business of the NFL – and uh, fortunately, man, I made the practice squad. I stuck to the practice squad all season long. I was frustrated at times that I didn't get activated onto the 53 because we had a guy go down. He tore his ACL. And I should, in my head, I should have been the next guy getting called up from the practice squad. But instead, they bring a veteran in in front of me. And I remember when, again, my mentor, Ben Newman, came to visit me. It was in October. And I was real, you know, I was pissed off and kind of just throwing out excuses or reasons why I didn't like, you know, care what was happening and I remember Ben kind of checking me and and look we were looking at my daily routine and how I was going about everything and I it just you come to realize the reality of it is um, I was making a lot of excuses and pointing the finger everywhere and not focusing on things that I should be doing every day and uh, finish out the year I get activated at the end of the year make one tackle on kickoff and go into year two man that's where I made the team outright and but that was kind of my journey through my first year on the practice squad it was I'll tell you what, it was a grind, man. And, and there were times where I just did not care if this was the only year I would ever play in the National Football League. And now looking back, it makes the story better and everything else. But there were definitely some hard, hard times. And how big is the mental aspect of that, right? Because you, you obviously referenced Ben a number of times. And it sounds like everything you hear about the NFL, right, is when it comes to there's obviously specific players that are just athletic freaks, right? And and can wake up mm-hmm. and go do certain things that other people can't do. But it's also right. a, a, a very kind of fine line between the talent. So how big at that point in the roster between making the active roster, the practice squad, getting cut, being a starter, et cetera, uh, how big is the mental part of that? The mental part is the biggest. That is the, the the biggest thing that I could ever give guys when they're going through injury or going through change or turnover or anything else. It's it's truly the mental because the mental stuff happens with everybody, man. Like you don't get a job that you were looking to get. You don't get that promotion. Um, in my case, I wasn't getting promoted. Things weren't going my way. And I was, you know, when I self-assess and have awareness um, with myself, Like I'm thinking of a lot of reasons and justifying a lot of things on why I'm not where I want to be other than, and I'm getting outside of myself, right? Instead of focusing in on the things that I can control. And it sounds dumb and so cliche and simple, but the attitude and effort, the routine, the stuff that I had wrote out for myself on day one. Now we're, we're deep into the year, right? I always say day one, Will Compton is not going to feel the same as day 60, Will Compton, day 90, Will Compton. There's going to be those days where you just don't want to do it. And you got to look at the stuff you wrote down on day one to remind yourself why you're doing it uh, and going about it the way you are. But the mental fortitude, and me personally, you know, working with somebody in the mental space, the sports psychology space, just therapy in general, I'm a huge believer in it because everyone struggles with a lot of stuff in the mental game in a performance-based world daily to where you are playing injured. Nobody's 100% all year long. Where Everybody's out there playing 80 to 85% right now, especially this late in the year, middle of the year. And, um, you know, you're having to practice and show up and do all this – you know, play football, lift weights, study the playbook, do all these things. You go out on the field and practice, you come in and you have people with a laser pointer uh, correcting and critiquing your every move, your every step, not caring how you feel, not doing all this. And you just, you know, you get in your own head at times. So being in that performance-based world day in and day out, I think it's it's so important to whether you're reading, listening to stuff. I'm huge on YouTube and listening to people speak into my head all the time, uh, working with my performance coach, Ben Newman, at the time. Uh, I'm just a huge believer in pr- protecting your mental because that's the thing that's going to fail you first. Yeah. So l- l- let's transition to talk a little bit about the business side of it real quick. So you uh, enter the NFL. It's your first job, obviously, outside of college. You weren't making money in college. <laughs> so you're making more money than you've ever made in your life, whether it's a million dollars, $10 million, whatever. It doesn't really matter. It's it's a good uh, good living. What was that like for you? Is there, one, I guess, is there resources to help you? Two, did you not care? Like, I think at some point I would be, uh, it sounds like you're basically fighting for your job every day, right? So like, was there even enough time to yes. think about this kind of stuff? Or are you like uh, pushing on the back burner until later on? No, I, you know, dude, I was really lucky. I know my parents went through some hard times when I was in high school, especially later in high school, my senior year, uh, to where my dad lost his job. He was that whole world come 
uh, debacle that happened. He was a part of that. And to where there were a lot of like trying times. My mom, we just lived off of our, my mom's Catholic school teacher salary. And my mom was huge in the Dave Ramsey, all of his methods, the total money makeover that she, that we ultimately went to as a family. And even in college, like with my scholarship checks, and the extra money I started to make my senior year with working a summer job and everything else, my mom was just always on me about tracking all of my expenses. And it, whether I took it serious a lot or not in my senior year, when I came into a little bit of money, because now I'm getting, you know, practice squad was making 102000 uh, the time the year I was a rookie. Um, and whether or not it was a re- I was a revolving door with the practice squad, like some guys we get cut, they got to go live in another city. Like, say I got cut and played for the Colts. I'm trapped in a lease that I had a short term lease in Washington. And now I'm into another short term lease in Indianapolis. So guys got to juggle some tough, some tough decisions, man. But fortunately, since I was on practice squad uh, the entire year and the checks that were coming in, I was using Dave Ramsey's envelope system. I was uh, I think the first like a stock market book I read was the fundamentals of investing where they're huge on Vanguard and everything else. But I I was lucky because my mom was always over my shoulder and uh, talking to me saying I needed to, you know, work on the envelope system, do that. I need to track stuff because it's not going to last forever. And, you know, after 102, you're making about 60,000 after taxes. Uh, So I'm trying to structure out $5,000 a month through the next 12 months into paying myself and doing all these things. So I felt like that helped set me up when I obviously was coming into more money and I have, you know, I have my mother to think, and a lot of guys aren't lucky. We do get resources, but again, you're sitting in these rookie meetings, you're sitting in these player meetings, you're focusing on wanting to play ball. You're like, I can't wait to get out of here so I can go watch film. I can't wait to go do this. Like I'm so stressed on making the team and, you know, other guys are stressed that they might have to play or start or be active or not active that you sit in those meetings and sometimes it can go one in the year, not the other. So you know, I owe my mom a lot of credit. The, the NFL, I think it might have recently changed, but at, at some point people were just getting uh, game checks, right? And there was no option to extend it throughout the year. So you're only getting paid throughout the season and whatnot, right? So is that, yeah. I assume that's pretty difficult uh, for some guys to manage knowing that they're only going to get income for a certain period of time. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's accurate. With the Titans, we got paid. So my year with the Titans in 18, I think my contract was 1.25. And I got half of that throughout the season because we got paid every other week. And then you didn't get the other half until the end of March. They stretched it out over a lot more pay periods, which I actually think is better for guys because you come into a lot of that money. Me personally, knowing what I know with money now, you want your money sooner rather than later so you can start doing all the things you want to do. But for the majority of guys, it's a lot better to get that delayed those delayed payments and everything else, because I, you know, majority of guys probably aren't budgeting. They're probably not doing the right things um, outside of ball. You come in and you get these checks that are 20, 30, 40, up to a hundred thousand dollars a week, way more than that for some guys. And uh, you just don't know if you don't have a structure in place or any budgeting tools in place, like you don't know what you're spending it on. You don't have to worry about, you know, shopping or what you're going to eat for dinner, paying for an appetizer. It just, it seems so, small to you that you're just forking over money. And next thing you know, you're checking your accounts. And you're like, man, I spent, I spent six figures on Uber eats or eating out this year. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, that is accurate guys before I want to say now every team, right. Gets paid out over how many pay periods is it now? It, it's, it's much longer. It's if it's not the whole year, it's, it's much longer. Yeah, right. It's, 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 it's much it's longer now, but it. yeah, it, it was just during the season when I was on Washington um, and the Titans were the first team that I, you know, was like, Oh, so dang, was it, it was it an option with the Titans out. or they did that for everyone? I, I think it, if you made over a million dollars, they did that for everybody that made over a million. If it was under a million, you got it all paid within uh, within the season. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, look, you're right. Like everyone thinks somewhat about it, trying to be super smart. And they're like, yeah, you get in the NFL is just taking an interest-free loan on you now. Like you should get your money up front. It's better to invest it now. But the reality is a lot of people can't budget, right? And, and they're not doing the yeah, right things when yeah. it comes to spending. So uh, it's better to do that. And not only like, I don't know when the last NFL lockout was uh, that went like super deep into the season, but that could always happen. And that's leverage and all of that kind of stuff. So uh, it's certainly something to think about, but all right, well, so let's transition to media. Uh, you run Bustin' with the Boys now, which is a popular podcast. You partner with Barstool on it. So walk me through just the thought process on why you started that and uh, how, how it's going. Man, so yeah, back when I was on uh, uh, Washington, I was just obsessed with podcasts. Like I, I, I listen to Joe Rogan all the time, uh, Ben Greenfield Fitness for everything involved with performance 
uh, recovery, things to optimize my body for sport, uh, bigger pockets for real estate, comedy podcasts. Like I just love the idea of podcasting. I listen to them all the time when I'm commuting to work and back home and wherever I drive. And uh, from that inspiration, um, I would say fast forward to when I was on the Titans in that 2018-19 year, I remember thinking like how cool it would be to have an NFL active player podcast to where you have some of these conversations that I'm having in the locker room, uh, in the sauna, in the cold tub, the steam room, all that stuff um, with guys who are doing things out, out off the field uh, that are making them successful off the field. Because guys, they, they try and seek out dudes in the locker room who have their head on straight and are doing the right things off the field uh, to try and follow those blue blueprints and do the same thing so you're not only a football player and uh, from all that inspiration man I remember my my year with the Titans didn't go the way I had planned for it to when I went there I was competing for the starting job of Wesley Woodyard and um, the Titans ended up trading up in the first round to draft Rashawn Evans and once they drafted Rashawn I pretty much knew what time it was at that point I was in a local bar in Germantown and here in Nashville and I was with two of my best friends and once they drafted Rashawn you know, they kind of looked over at me and I was like, well, boys, you know, it was it was fun while it lasted getting to try and compete for that job because you pretty much know that the first rounder is going to get the, the best shot of anybody to get out there on the field, no matter how well you play. Um, so from that, somebody in my spot where you're a, a depth guy or you're a backup guy and you're just on special teams, for you to get back on the field, you kind of need the luck factor to play in for a guy to get injured in front of you. No, I don't want guys to get hurt, but when you're a backup and you want to be on the field, that's essentially how my situation would have worked out for me to get back and put some more tape out there for the, for the future. Um, and when that wasn't happening, Rashawn never got hurt. He was healthy all year long. And obviously that's a good thing. And again, I'm selfishly speaking for myself right now. And um, once that didn't happen and the year was kind of coming to an end, um, I remember my wife and uh, my buddy Taylor and uh, friends from back home, people were, you know, nudging me about, hey, yeah, you should go all in and do, you know, make a podcast. If you want to do a podcast, like you should start writing stuff down and, and kind of creating this podcast. And that's when I started to really get involved more, um, you know, taking notes from listening to bigger pockets in the real estate world and getting an Airbnb and uh, getting diving into the podcast. I started to write out what all that looked like because everything I've pretty much done um, since college and anything I've wanted, goals, all of that stuff has been writing down a blueprint or what I want everything to look like. And so I started doing that. It was probably November, December when I started to write things down for this podcast that I wanted to call at the time the Den Podcast because I'm obsessed with, with wolves and being a wolf, this wolf mentality I always like to talk about. And so I put that together. You know, I, I took bits on blueprints that are out there with the comedy podcast I followed, what they did on social media how they ran their podcasts on YouTube, like visually, audio-wise, the Tim Ferriss, I'm looking into Tim Ferriss, what he does. And uh, I started to put everything together, man. And then when the off-season came, I remember doing this radio show, it was toward the end of our season. And I did this radio show and I was on the phone with Taylor Lawan, who was my co-host. And uh, I remember telling him like, hey, I think I'm gonna go in all, all in on this podcast. He's like, really? He's like, uh, you think you'd wanna do it like with me? Like we could do it together? I was like, bro, I would love that. And um, he was like, man, I'll do it with you. Like, let me think about it more, but you know, I'll do it with you. And for me, it took a lot of weight off my shoulders because going at anything alone is obviously, you know, I'm fearing failure. You know what I mean? You're putting yourself out there in front of people. If you have a best friend doing it with you, it just makes it that much more fun, easier. Um, and you feel like a weight's taken off of you. So after the season we were eating, uh, we had lost our, our, our win and end game versus the Indianapolis Colts. So we lost that game, didn't get to go into the playoffs. And we're mourning our loss at this local Chinese joint down the road right now from where I'm at right now. And uh, this hole in the wall Chinese place. And we were talking about the podcast. He's like, all right. He's like 50, 50 on the podcast. And we sit there and shook hands. And uh, the next day he was like, Hey, I think I'm going to go train in California. And I was bummed about that. And he was like, I was like, bro, if you want to do this podcast, are you sure you want to do this thing? Because if you're sure, I'll wait for you to get back for OTAs. But if you're not, I need to start doing this now because I don't know if I'm going to play football again. What I was explaining on the year didn't go the way I wanted it to and I'm being a backup, I'm thinking about my future at this point because I don't have the film necessary to command some contract. I knew I was going to be a veteran minimum player with no signing bonus, scrapping to make a team 
from a 90-man roster scrapping to make the 53. And in my mind, the age, I think I was 28 at the time. I didn't necessarily care to do that as much anymore. So I was going to start leaning into these things off the field, the podcast and real estate to start setting up my future. Because what I had said in my head was, all right, any team who brings me in this next year, they already know what I'm going to be about with intangibles and all that stuff. Like I painted a resume. I have starts under my belt. They know I can play special teams. They know I've been a captain on the, on the Washington football team. They know I have a lot of starting experience and I can do all these things. So a team's going to know what they're going to get. I don't necessarily have to prove outside of proving that I'm still the same guy. I don't have to prove a whole lot to be this vet minimum player taking Taking on that identity, I knew I was going to say no to teams wanting me to try out or work out with them during the spring. Because, again, I don't want to go into a 90-man roster with no signing bonus, scrapping to earn my vet minimum come season time and going through another training camp. So I knew I was going to take all of spring off and essentially build this podcast. So we run into the bus behind uh, this, this, this building the production company we were working with, there's a, a, an abandoned bus in the back that was on sale for $2,500, $2,000 or $2,500. I didn't necessarily want the bus because I didn't, I didn't envision us being on a bus to do this podcast. And I didn't know if the production would work inside of there. And Taylor was like, let me put 10 grand into the bus. If it can't work, then I think it's a sweet looking busted bus like i'll just have it sitting in my backyard but if it does work out would this be something you want to do i was like dude if we can make it work i was like the problem is we only have so much time before you start uh, otas and what's it going to look like while, while you're in otas and i'm just chilling he's like the dudes the guy said he'll turn around in under two weeks so we bet on that put sink 10 grand in, into the bus we buy the bus and uh it ends up working out man and we just start we just start backlogging episodes from there and uh yeah, that's essentially how we went from step zero to step one. So how many episodes have you done now? At this point, we made it, we backlogged about five before we released the first one. The first one was with Delaney Walker and uh, we had Arthur Smith on, Roman Yossi, uh, Delaney Walker, Rich Froning. And um, I can't, I can't remember the other guy. I can't remember our other one, our first five. Yeah, but so this, but we is, had this those, is what year? This is uh, 2018, 2019? Yes, 2019, I believe. Okay, and now you're you're this up over 100 now, right? Yeah, now we, we just finished episode 124, 125. Nice, nice. So th that's a good point, actually, thinking about kind of your post-playing career. Uh, it sounds like Taylor was probably on like a little bit different of a, of a path from a thought process standpoint. But it's a good point because yes. I, I'm curious, how many, how many guys in the NFL are actively thinking about what they're going to do when they're actually done playing? Not many. I mean, there are some for sure. There's guys who try and collaborate and build networks in the off season. It usually fizzles out because once guys are apart, you don't necessarily always come back or get intentional about following up on the networking you guys wanted to do, but not a lot, man. It usually, and usually by the time your career ends, it ends when you don't want it to. And uh, I've been fortunate to carve out kind of the, the back end of my career, my transition uh, in this back half of my career. Uh, but yeah, it usually ends when you're, when you're not expecting it, when you don't want it to. And not a lot of guys do plan on those next steps because it's such a demanding sport um, and such a violent game that you have to, you know, it's the whole quote, don't focus on plan B because it derails any progress you make with, with uh, plan A. And so you pretty much invest all of your time into this plan A thinking you're going to have this, you know, lengthy, long career when the average career is like, you know, I think three years. Um, so you're, you're right. Like Taylor, he had just signed the biggest offensive lineman deal in the NFL, in NFL history. I was looking at it more of like, I need to figure my stuff out because it could be ended for me way sooner than I had planned on it to. And is there a at reason in my career? I was going to say like, the way I think about it is a lot of people wait, a lot of guys in the NFL and other sports, uh, what they do is they wait till their career is over and then they go approach it from like a traditional uh, media role, right? Whether it's broadcasting, whether it's right. NFL Live or something like that, right? They know that they have the experience, uh, they have the knowledge, they could talk about it, everything, but they don't go uh, kind of like the new social media route. You took that route from a distribution standpoint of trying to build up your own stuff, but also partnering with people who could help with distribution. Was that on purpose? Like, is that something that you thought about beforehand? Hey, I want to go at this alone. I don't want to go work work for uh, someone else or another network or something like that. Just walk me through how you thought about that. Yeah, man. So that, that, that's a, that's a really, those were really good points you were bringing up. A lot of guys, they'll do it the traditional way. 
And uh, not that I, I was opposed to doing it the traditional way, but I just knew what, what my interests were. Like I had done these things, like I had built a little bit of a personality through my social media, having fun, doing the things that you kind of see now, but on a smaller scale when I was on a team. And uh, I was very interested in podcasts and feeling like, man, we could have some of this some of this, these curiosities that I have where I'm always asking questions and curious to know what guys are doing and having fun and cutting up and, and showing off the, the, uh, the raw real side behind these athletes that people don't necessarily know about because the message is always controlled by media outlets, journalists, and everybody else. Um, and so I just thought that that would be really cool. And when we were starting to dial, to dial this thing in, yeah, I want to say there, there were, like Joe, Joe, Ben Greenfield, all these podcasts that I were following, they were going about it on their own, which I thought there was a lot of power in. You know, McAfee was doing a lot of stuff on his own. He was an inspiration. And uh, controlling your IP, our intellectual property, uh, was important because we knew that if we did have something, that uh, that would that would give us a lot of leverage. Like we wouldn't be working for anybody. We are our own boss. Like if there's something that we can say, we can edit it ourselves that, uh, hey, we went a little bit too far here. We shouldn't have said that. Like you have the, the power to edit those things. And our whole mantra about being for the boys, anybody who comes on, we want people to kind of open up and say whatever they want to say. And if they're driving home afterwards and think of something that they wanted off that they didn't want to, that they shouldn't have said, we'll edit it out for them. So it's like doing all these things and know that we are in control and we are our own boss uh, gave us a lot of power. So there was no thought of whenever, you know, when we're dreaming big, when this thing does become big, we won't have to sell it to anybody. We can own it ourselves and build this brand ourselves. Who's the favorite uh, guest that you've had on the podcast? <sighs> Man, that's best so episode. hard to answer. I know, dude, I know. Um, for me personally, I, uh, I really enjoy peeling back the layers of guys like listening to Darren Waller, his story, Max Crosby, uh, when jelly roll came on just not too long ago, talking about, um, his depression and, and, uh, uh, um, his mental, his mental health and everything else. Um, George Kittle and like, I, I'm going to say here, I'm doing it again. I just start rattling off all these names, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Man, like we had Dale Earnhardt, it's a Dale Earnhardt theme bus. And Dale Earnhardt Jr. came on our podcast. He's a Washington football fan. So he was a fan of me before I even knew we were following each other. And uh, that was a surreal moment. Dude, we've had – I've gotten to meet so many cool people. Like, we just had Darius Rucker this past week, an icon, a dude who, who had two careers in the music world, literally in top charts of all time, like on the bus. And he, I'm hearing stories about him and Tiger Woods, Frank Sinatra, Going on David Letterman when he was with when he was on Hootie when he was with Hootie and the Blowfish back in the '90s. Like I'm getting to have those conversations, and it's just it's incredible, man. The first, the most nervous I've been for a podcast was probably the Fighter and the Kid, Brendan Schaub. He was somebody who'd mentored me throughout the bar stool, uh, navigating those waters. But when he came on and he was doing a comedy show in town, he was just somebody I looked up to in the podcasting space because he was one of the few athletes like McAfee, who went from athlete transition to media guy in the non-traditional way. So having him come on and then really give me a lot of game after that and to where I could call him and text him and everything else, that was probably when I was most nervous. But, man, I've had so many conversations. It really is hard to choose one. Yeah, the way I always think about it, too, is like these conversations are probably ones that you would want to have with these people anyways, right? So if you can record it yeah. and get paid for it and do all this stuff, that makes it even better. Uh, but, but it's fascinating because, like, guy like McAfee, he's the perfect example of someone that used the leverage of the NFL uh, and the brand and then really built this empire because people people like to, you know, he, he calls his own show stupid and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, he is super, super, super freaking talented. Right. And, uh, oh, yeah. he, he, he's really good from the media side. So it's crazy to see like his whole brand blow up and all this stuff. It's awesome. He's a great example of leveraging the sport, allowing the sport to work for you. That's more than 90% of guys don't do that. And, you know, some guys have their own story about it to where they want to be all in. But again, man, it's like, you go out, you know, you go from high school to college, college to the NFL, you have this finite moment, these these finite years to capitalize on branding and who you are and getting yourself out there and, and, and making all these moves for yourself. And a lot of guys hold themselves back from doing that because they want to, you know, not, not, I'm not trying to say not be for the team, but you're, you're sacrificing all these things for a logo that's not going to sacrifice for you uh, when your time is up. 
when 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 you guys shake hands and part ways, they don't care, you know, how well you do outside of the sport. They're happy if you do well and they can claim like, oh, yeah, he came from this our neck of the woods. But we sacrifice so much for a logo and a sport that doesn't care what happens to us afterwards. Not and not saying that in a malicious way. It's just the reality. So when you have this limited time, these limited years to capitalize on those things, you need to figure out what you're interested in. Because again, like I was joking about earlier, your jokes are funny. You're shaking more hands and uh, you're getting in more doors to kind of create this life after ball, because this life after ball is going to last so much longer, hopefully than you ever did playing football. Like, you know, I'm 32 now and I've been playing football and identifying with being a pro athlete since I was in the second grade. Sooner than that, sooner than I could play football, I would always walk around with, with with helmets on and always wanting to identify with one sport and being an, an NFL player. And that's the that's been all I've identified with my entire life. And so it is scary to think about the other side. But I, you know, I strongly encourage every athlete to like look at the McAfee's of the world and these guys who have leveraged themselves, you know, correctly to strike while the iron's hot, man, because when it ends, it usually ends when you don't want it to and not on your own terms. And um, it is scary, man. There's a lot of anxiety that plays into it because you just fear the unknown. and You don't know anything else. Yeah, I, I love the comparison about the logo because it's so true. Everyone likes to say sports are a business, but they really are, right? Especially when it comes to uh, the NFL and their ability to just cut players and move on. And and the analogy of like, yeah, they they really love you when you do something good and they'll say, hey, he came from the neck of the woods is so true because they don't give a shit if you do something. If you, if you go on to do nothing else in your life, they, they don't care, right? And it's- uh, Right, not, dude. Yeah. Not every team's it's a brotherhood, I guess, is really what it is. Yeah, and Joe, you know, like being on teams and stuff like that, like- it's hard to, it's hard to separate, right? Like if I think about logos so much easier to say, because that's the actual reality. Because when I talk about not sacrificing for the team, like I'm so much on, I'm built so much on camaraderie and being with the boys and, you know, championing the boys and doing all this stuff and being a part of a team. I love the team aspect of absolutely everything. And I think about, you know, you sacrifice so much for Nebraska. I'm thinking about all my teammates. I'm thinking about coach Bo. And I'm like, yes, I would do the same thing again, but to, to, to be frank and be transparent and put it bluntly and harshly, it is sacrificing for a logo. That coach is sacrificing for a logo. Every player, it's all for the logo because when it's separated and it's over with, that logo is still going to function with or without you. It doesn't matter. No league needs you. No team needs you. And the sooner you realize, we all realize that we're commodities and have to start figuring out our pivots and our next moves and the awareness we have with that and the freedom that comes with that, like the better off guys will be. Yeah, I was uh, laughing the other day. I won't say who it was, but someone commented on basically there there was a uh, someone who commented on a tweet saying that a teammate was selfish for the whole vaccine mandates and all this stuff and not getting stuff. And, and an NFL player who's active responded to it uh, on one of my tweets and essentially was like, bro, those are my coworkers. He's like, we don't, don't put it deeper than that, which is essentially like, it's true, right? It's like when you get paid to do something like this, that's your job. It's no different than someone else going to a job. And sure, you're around these guys and you care about them. But at the end of the day, like everyone's coworkers. So I think uh, everyone just needs to understand at some rate that it's just a business. Yeah, man, it, it is. It's like, uh, you know, we're, we're all very grateful. And we're all appreciative. And we love, we love that honorary story. We, we all have with ourselves, like being gladiators on the field. Like, I, you know, I'm younger in my playing days, ready to die on the football field. Right. Like you're taking all this caffeine and, you know, all this pre-workout and stuff before a game, like ready to just put it all on the line for the guys next to you. And I would still do that, but just knowing that it is like, we're all commodities. We're all coworkers. It is a it is a business, man. And when it's over with, you're on your own. And yeah, you have your family, you have everybody, but everybody else, whoever's in your corner. But those, even those people, even your family members, they're not laying on the they're not laying on the pillow with you. They're not yeah. they're not coddling all of your thoughts with you. Only you have those thoughts, man. And and it's 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 always a tough reality to face. So who are uh, I got two more questions, and then I'll let you go. One, who's the uh, we'll say like the biggest athletic freak you've played with? Is it Derrick Henry? he's one of them. I would say Trent Williams. Trent Williams is a savage. I mean, this dude, you'll be at the YMCA and he's not playing down low. He's, he's, he's beyond the arc, putting up threes, dribbling, going between the legs and dunking. This man is a freak athlete and I'll never forget. I I loved like telling this story too, but I was on a, I was on practice squad. This was my rookie year. I go and I sit at the, at the lunch table and it's myself. It's Logan Paulson. Who's a, who's a journeyman tight end. 
um, who just, just a grinder, just a gritty blocking tight end, you know, Viking looking dude. And um, just talking about, man, it's just, he doesn't know when the time comes, like just doing this day in and day out, the, the toll it has on your body, because there's guys like I'm one of them. You have to work so hard all the time to have, to tap into your genetics, to like stay at this level where some guys, they just got it. And Trent is an example of somebody who just has it. And he sits down at the uh, lunch table with us. It's me, Logan Paulson, Brian Arakpo, and then Trent sits down. And Arakpo sits down, and he, you know, you know Rack, he was a first-round pick. He was a great player. And uh, I think he was joking with Logan, like, Logan, yeah, I don't know how you do it, man. Like, because when Rack gets injured, he, you know, some guys get the privilege of sitting out of practice. Like some of us, we got to practice no matter how we're feeling. And uh, yeah, Logan, man, I don't know how y'all boys do it, man. Blah, blah, blah. Saying this and that. We're kind of laughing, talking about how hard it is and how great it'd be to have like some off days or something like that. Like Rack might get. And Trent's in there and innocently, man, just genuine. It wasn't malicious. He wasn't saying nothing. He's like, yeah, man, like I sit here and I just, I wonder like who's going to walk through those doors one day and like actually challenge me. And he says in the most innocent way to where he's not being arrogant or cocky. And we just sit back and it's just like, man, to have that kind of power, that genetic ability, that dude can do absolutely everything as a left tackle. And he is a monster dude. But Trent Williams is definitely the best, like, freakish athlete I've ever been around. Yeah, that's got to be an amazing feeling, just not even being arrogant, but just knowing that you're better than literally everyone. (laughs) Yeah, and you're not, yeah, again, you're not, like, being arrogant. He's, like, sitting there, like, yeah, sometimes I think about, like, who's going to walk through those doors one day and it's actually going to be like a challenge at practice and rack starts laughing because they obviously go against each other. We're all just laughing. Like, dude. Yeah. He's like, what about me, dude? (laughs) Like I challenge you every day. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's it's like, what kind of powers do you have to have just to walk around like Thanos and be like, yeah, who's going to challenge me? Like who is, when am I ever going to feel challenged in my career? Amazing. All right. Last one. Uh, I know you're listening to Dave Ramsey. He's good. He knows what he's doing. He's smart. He's telling everyone save, invest, all this stuff. But everyone gets a little <laughs> everyone gets a little happy when they get their uh, their first check. Is there anything you look back on? And you're like, I can't believe I bought that. Man, there's got to be something. I, mean, I want to know whatever whatever you're thinking dude, about right I, there. I wish I had a cool story, man. Like I, there's times where I wish I just blew money. I mean, maybe it's really, it's not even a big story. It's nothing that would even be a headline. You know what I mean? It's like, maybe I spent $5,000 one night out or something like that. I, I can't even picture myself doing that like now without being like, yo, what am I doing? Uh, but I'm telling you, man, I was pretty, uh, I was, I was pretty anal with my uh, finances and not that I'm full all in on Dave Ramsey. I just feel like it was a, a good foundation to start with, but I don't have any of those stories that I just spent six figures on something one random night or blew it on some high-end vehicle or yeah uh, I don't no, dude, I, I, uh, I wish i did man i wish i could be more entertaining on the pod right no you're great dude i i i uh was joking around with some the other day that we i watched a dave ramsey video for anyone who hasn't seen him his youtube channel is electric he's he's all time uh when it comes to like giving advice right and someone called in and, and they're <laughs> like they're like hey i'm fifty thousand dollars in debt uh, I make 30,000 a year. I just bought a $20,000 car. And he's like, how long ago did you buy the car? And they're like a week ago. He's like, do everything you can to return it. He's like, I don't care what you do. Go back and beg. He's like, beg and plead with them no. to take it back. He's hilarious. He's great. He's so blunt with people. And I love it because yeah. like, you know, people need the cold hard truth at times, man. And, and yeah, I know there's arguments against Dave and some of his teachings and everything else, but the, the people he's working with, that's the advice that they need. Yeah, exactly. 100%. All right, man. I really appreciate you coming on, taking the time. Uh, where can I send people? Is is Busting with the Boys uh, YouTube or podcast the best place? Yeah, man. We're on we're on all the podcast platforms. Busting with the Boys. Our YouTube channel is Busting with the Boys. And what's Our your personal Twitter? Bussin'. My personal Twitter is underscore Will Compton. Our Busting one is Busting WTB. But yeah, man, underscore Will Compton. I'm always trying to have fun on there, man. I'm, um, I'm always trying to... Uh, uh, be shamelessly prolific in, in the amidst anybody making fun of me and everything else. So I like to have a lot of fun. With yeah, that. You're, you're pretty good on the internet other than like actually working, you know, figuring out Wi-Fi and DMs and all that, but you got some good jokes. <laughs> <laughs> you got some good jokes. I appreciate it, man. Hey Joe, and seriously, thanks for having me on. Dude. I've, you're, you're kind of one of the OGs with the, uh, with the Twitter threads or people that I follow with all the threads. And I was very intrigued 
uh, people, people like you doing that stuff, man, I think it's very valuable, especially, especially when people are so turned off by uh, hearing the word Twitter and being on Twitter. I feel like you're one of the guys that puts a lot of good, valuable information out there. I ended up, you know, immediately subscribing to your newsletter. I'm not trying to give you free pub. There's always no free shout outs. I'm busting the boys, <laughs> but seriously, man, I, I really am a fan. Like, and you promote, you, you're like, you're like about things that I just enjoy looking at, enjoy, and I enjoy seeing your deep dives on companies or players. And it kind of shows off and champions some of those guys and what they do off the field. So dude, I appreciate the work you do, man. I That's the goal, man. That's the goal. I appreciate that. I appreciate whenever that. you're in Nashville, you gotta, you gotta come. Cause dude, you can come on the bus now. You gotta come on the bus and have some whiskey. I, w- I would love to do that. I would love to do that. We'll set that up. Yeah. All right. Thank you, man. All right, brother. Good talking to you, Joe.